This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Politics is Everything, a podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm your host, Kara ong On Friday, September 23rd, the Center for Politics honored and recognized all of the police officers, state troopers, National Guard, firefighters, and emergency responders who protected members of the U.S. Congress, their staff, journalists, and other public servants at the Capitol on January 6, 2021, as the legislative branch of America's democracy carried out the constitutionally prescribed certification of the results of the 2020 presidential election. The center gave its inaugural Defender of Democracy Awards to law enforcement officers who protected and defended our republic on January 6th. Private First Class Harry Dunn, Officer Caroline Edwards, Former Officer Michael Fanone, Sergeant Dacalino Ganell, Private First Class Eugene Goodman, and Officer Daniel Hodges received the Center for Politics's 2022 Defenders of Democracy Award for not only defending democracy on January 6th, but also for their commitment to justice and accountability to prevent future violence and attacks on the electoral process. Despite the challenges of being in the public eye while continuing full-time duty, officers Dunn, Edwards, Fanone, Gunnell, Goodman, and Hodges have all testified about the January 6, 2021 attacks in their personal capacity, and they've not done so for personal gain. To the contrary, they've been attacked and threatened for continuing to speak out. These officers who put their own lives at risk have said that everyone has a job in protecting democracy. Their bravery and selflessness that day and their continued efforts speaking out for justice and accountability have made them reluctant heroes, but heroes nonetheless. Approximately 140 police officers were assaulted at the Capitol including about 80 U.S. Capitol Police and about 60 from the Metropolitan Police Department. Many officers have quietly resigned because of that day. A bipartisan Senate report found that at least seven people lost their lives in connection with the insurrection. One of those who died was Private First Class Brian Sicknick, who passed away after confronting pro-Trump rioters and suffered two strokes. His partner, Sandra Garza, joined us on his behalf to accept the award posthumously. The award will be displayed at the U.S. Capitol Police. Less discussed are the at least four police officers who died by suicide in the months after they responded to the attack. Two of the families also joined us to accept the award posthumously on their behalf. Private First Class Howard Liebengood and Officer Jeffrey Smith. Although the culmination of years, if not decades, of priming by various actors, January 6th represents the most dramatic and violent manifestation of an increasingly divisive political climate and escalating attacks on the legitimacy of our political system and our nation's experiment in self-governance. Despite congressional and news media efforts to bring to light and hold perpetrators accountable, the threats to the American electoral process remain as the big lie has metastasized into a growing movement that includes hundreds of elected officials and candidates around the country who have falsely claimed that the 2020 election was rigged and who refuse to accept election defeat. While many would like to move on, the January 6th attempted coup and insurrection must serve as a constant reminder to everyone that our democracy is not invincible and these officers cannot be the sole force in holding the line. 
democracy requires more from all of us. We were delighted to have Senator Tim Kaine join us as part of the Defender of Democracy Awards ceremony. Senator Kaine recalled his reaction on January 6th as he hunkered down in the Capitol with other senators and staff and seeing Virginia State Troopers arrive on the scenes. You'll hear his stories in this episode. Senator Kaine has also helped craft bipartisan legislation to honor the public service of police officers, firefighters, and emergency responders by supporting the families of public safety officers lost to trauma-linked suicides, including the families of officers Jeffrey Smith and Howard Liebengood, who were honored as defenders of democracy. We're delighted that uh, Senator Tim Kaine is able to join us today. Uh, He's no stranger to the grounds or to the rotunda, but he's here uh, because of this very special program. I think most of you know that the January 6th insurrection, as we've mentioned several times, interrupted the proceedings of the House and the Senate and forced members to evacuate to safe locations, including uh, Senator Kane. Uh, in fact, we were supposed to talk to you that evening. We were having a program right here, supposedly talking about <laughs> the results of the Georgia special elections and the incoming administration. Little did we know what was going to happen that evening. Uh, but uh, Senator Kane was indisposed uh, at, the, at the time. But he's been very vocal in his support of the law enforcement officers who restored order that day and enabled the Congress eventually that night to proceed with the certification of the election results. Senator Kane has also helped craft bipartisan legislation to honor the public service of police officers, firefighters, and emergency responders by supporting the families of public safety officers lost to trauma-linked suicides, including the families of officers Jeffrey Smith and Howard Liebengood. Uh, and they're, of course, here today. Senator Kane, we're very honored that you could uh, take the time to be with us, and we welcome you to come up now. Well, I, I am extremely honored to be here. Um, I want to thank Larry Sabato, who is a longtime friend. He has been a just a pillar of this community, educational community, and the broader community. Um, and his strong support of the center, and then helping the center realize that we needed to do this to reward defenders of democracy. It's a real tribute of your leadership. You know, you might have thought at some point in your past, because I probably would have, that if I was going to a Defenders of Democracy event, it would be to honor a Tibetan human rights activist or somebody who was involved in uh, trying to protect freedom of expression in Hong Kong, because of course all Americans would defend democracy, and that wouldn't seem unusual. Uh, And yet what we've learned, and frankly for me, the learning began in August of 2017 here at Charlottesville. And I I just was at Cabell Hall giving a talk about Charlottesville. Charlottesville and the attack on the Capitol are directly connected in so many ways, in so many ways. Um, Motivated by a fear of replacement, replacement of a statue, replacement of a president amplified by disinformation and social media. Um, An attack on democracy. You know, the Charlottesville City Council was popularly elected. They had voted to do something, but we wanted to attack that decision. 80 million people had voted for a 
president, we wanted to do something to attack that decision. So these were events that were very, very connected. And the fact that just in the coincidence of timing in a big university that you're having a seminar across the way about Charlottesville 2017 and honoring these democracy defenders shows that you're focused on issues that couldn't be more important. Now, to the folks who are here, you just have my utmost respect and appreciation. And I'm gonna tell a couple of stories, one from January 6th and one from the aftermath of my interaction with these brave men and women who keep us safe every day. But I just wanna to begin to each of you, um, and I guess I would say particularly to Serena because I, I, I didn't know all of you guys, but I did know Howie. Um, Howie Liebengood is a child of the United States Senate. His father worked in the U.S. Senate. So he grew up as a kid in the Capitol and then achieved a dream of being a Capitol Police officer. This was more than, this was more than a job for Howie. He was usually at the door in the Russell Building off Delaware where we all come in every morning. And I would see him day in, day out during the first years that I'm in the Senate. It was more than a job. Um, it was his family and the institution meant something to him. I wish the institution meant as much, half as much to some of my colleagues as it meant to Howie. And so, and, and I don't know the rest of you to be able to say personally this, what I would say about Howie, but you stand in his shoes, you're, you're the same kind of people. Here's something we discovered in the aftermath of that day that was really awful, which is many, many law enforcement pensions award benefits for line of duty deaths, but exclude suicides. So it could be a violent altercation, it could be an automobile accident, it could be uh, an illness that you get because of your exposure to a toxic substance. Nothing else is excluded. You have to demonstrate that the death is related to your duty. You have to show that, but only one thing was excluded under no circumstances in most of these pension programs could a death by suicide ever be labeled a line of duty death. What an injustice. What an injustice. That was not something I was aware of, but because of the Liebengood and the Smith families, I became aware of it. And working together with colleagues, we passed a piece of legislation to, to change that so that Somebody who dies by suicide, their family has the same chance that every other family has to show that that is, in fact, a line of duty death. Painful, painful lessons. On the, on the day of January 6th, as these folks were bravely fighting to protect us, I had come to the office early, had told all my staff, don't come in. I was just worried enough about what would happen that day. Told all my staff, don't come in. My chief of staff disobeyed the, my order. <laughs> So I had one staffer in the office. We were sitting in our office in the Russell Building, and when the objection was raised to the Arizona votes, I went in the tunnels underneath the Capitol to go to the Senate chamber. I don't have a TV in my office. I wasn't watching what was happening. I was unaware of the crowd that was gathering. I made a mistake, which I never make. I didn't think it was a mistake at the time. I carried this with me everywhere but I decided I don't want to be caught on TV like, you know, scrolling for messages while we're doing something really important. 
And it was really important. Now, four years before, my name had been on all those letters that were opened as the Electoral College results were read. And it took 15 minutes because we weren't questioning the legitimacy of an election. But it was pretty clear that this day was going to be different. And I left this in my office. And so that meant when I was in the Senate chamber, I was not getting what all my other colleagues were getting, which was texts from family and friends saying, what the hell's going on? You should get out of there. They're breaching the Capitol. They're attacking the Capitol. I'm just kind of sitting there blithely, like listening to the speeches. And OK, OK. They escort the vice president out. I had seen this happen once before. I assumed the president might have been calling for one last you know, phone call to try to convince him to do what he wanted. I didn't think much about that. But then the sergeant-at-arms took the chamber and said, we're barricading you and the Capitol's under attack. The doors closed, there's ceremonial glass doors, there's heavy wooden security doors, they're very loud. For about an hour, we are there as these folks are trying to protect us and keep us safe and enable us to go to another location. At one point, my friend Senator Klobuchar, who sits near the door that's next to the hallway that runs to the house, said, I think I just heard gunshots. And we didn't know what was going on. We are escorted by these brave officers. They, they clear a path for us to go over to a committee room. Twice as we're making that very long walk, we were within view of the rioters there, once maybe 30 or 40 yards away and once about 10 yards away. And then we went into the committee room where we were barricaded for about six hours. The, the Senate staff said, we've outfitted this room so you can do the work here of completing the Electoral College count. But it was interesting, I, I was really proud of all 100 of my colleagues in this instance because no one even looked at each other or talked. We all said, no, no, we're not gonna do it in a closed committee room. We're gonna go back into the chamber as long as it takes. We're gonna go back in the chamber and do it where the, all the American public can see us. Here is the first of the two stories I wanna tell you, the story of that day, and then I'm gonna tell you a story of something that happened a week later. We're in this room for about seven hours peak of COVID, 150 of us, all 100 senators, 50 staffers, a couple of very valiant Senate staffers remembered to grab the boxes of electoral votes and carry them with them. They're, they're in wooden boxes. Had the rioters gotten into the chamber when those were there, the front pages of all the paper, papers in the world would have been those ballots on fire out in the street. So these, these young Senate staffers had the presence of mind, hey, we gotta grab this if we're going over there. They put up TV monitors, and, and now we're able to see on the monitors what's happening. And because I didn't have a phone now, I'm really realizing what's going on. It had been confusing and shocking, but I didn't really know what was going on. The Capitol was under attack. I had been told, okay, now I could see it. This is a law enforcement story that I'm going to tell you, and it's not Capitol Police, but it's law enforcement. I think you guys will appreciate it. About four or five hours in, battle's still raging. CNN shows a picture of 25 Virginia State Police cruisers pulling up to the Capitol. Who came over? First ones there. First ones there was pride, and I got a lot of Shinkatig pride. But, but here was the reaction in the room, 100 senators, 50 staffers, CNN showing Virginia State Police cruisers arriving. All of our colleagues who were kind of punchy at this time started to applaud. It's like the cavalry showing up in a movie, you know? Yeah, good job. Hey, Mark and Tim, thanks for Virginia for being on the scene. Call the governor and thank him for dispatching the Virginia State Police. I went over to Mark Warner and I said, the last time there was a domestic insurrection against the government of the United States, Virginia was leading it. 
Virginia was leading it. Now we're in a domestic insurrection that's being led by the commander-in-chief of the United States, and Virginia is coming to the rescue of the Union. You tell me history can't change. You tell me things can't change. Things can't get different. But Virginia was coming to be part of the rescue crew for the Union on a day when the President of the United States was trying to encourage people to topple or at least delay it. Very powerful. I can tell you that story. I can't really describe what the story means because I haven't completely figured it out. But it made me proud. Even on a really painful day, it made me proud of the arc of at least where Virginia has come. And we still got such a long way to go, but it made me proud of the arc of how Virginia has come. The second story doesn't make me proud. And it's, it's, it's one that makes me sad. And, and I didn't have a good answer for the question that a Capitol Police officer posed to me. It was about, I don't know, a couple weeks after the attack. And some of you guys remember uh, Jose Andres had been on the Capitol and he and his crew were serving meals to Capitol Police, but also we had a lot of guardsmen and women from all over the country. And so there was kind of a really good operation going to provide meals. And I went down to thank some of the volunteers. And one of your Capitol Police colleagues said to me, hey, Senator, I'm your constituent. I live in Loudoun. Can I talk to you as a constituent, not as a Capitol Police officer? I said, fire away. I want to hear what you have to say. And here's the question he asked. And I, and I didn't and I don't have a good answer for it. He said, after the attack on the Capitol on 9-11, we saw all of you, we, the family that works here, Capitol Police, grounds crew, all this committee staff, the, it's, a, it's a town. It's a town of about 40 or 50,000 people. We saw all of you, senators and members of Congress, after the 9-11 attack, standing together on the steps of the Capitol, linking arms, singing God Bless America, devoted to being unified regardless of party or region. He said, so now here's what we've seen. Beginning in March of 2020, we've seen a pandemic that has killed hundreds of thousands of people. And we've seen you guys fighting about it, fighting about the science, fighting about the vaccines, fighting about who was at fault, fighting about what to call it, and now we've seen an attack on the Capitol and we've seen you fighting about that. Was it a minor civil protest? Was it insurrection? Will there be accountability for those who planned it or not? And the question that he asked me is, when, when are we gonna see Congress standing together in a united way when the nation is at risk like we saw after 9-11, I didn't have a good answer for him. I don't have a good answer for him. You know, I can do what I can do in my corner of the world and the legislation I talked about, other things, I, I try to. But he wasn't asking about me. He was asking about us. I didn't have a good answer for him. Larry, thank you to you and the Center for honoring these great public servants. 